Hi, I'm Tiago Forte, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to a productive conversation. On this episode, I'm joined by Tiago Forte. He is the author of Building a Second Brain, a proven method to organize your digital life and unlock your creative potential. We did this as a live stream for members of Time Crafting Trust Premium. We'll put a link in the show notes if you want to become a member of Time Crafting Trust Premium because we'll be doing more of these over the course of the next several months and even beyond. Uh, Tiago, uh, I had a chance to chat with him personally in Portland in the summer of 2022. I said, we want to have you on the show. It's been a long time coming. I think it's a really great conversation. We get into the depths of PKM and and productivity, uh, but there's so much more we could have covered. This conversation was truly productive, and I know we would have a lot more to talk about, and maybe we'll bring back Tiago in the future. But for now, here is my conversation with Tiago Forte. Enjoy. Tiago, it's so good to have you on the program at long last. I mean, this is something that I've wanted to do for a while, and we were able to make it connect and make it happen. Thanks so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. I've been following you for years and years. Uh, and we met in person at a, an event in Portland a couple of months ago. And this is the uh, the continuation of our discussion. Which, by the way, you knocked it out of the park on the main stage. I, ne- I don't think I had a chance to to run. A, you know, we didn't run into each other after you spoke. I think you were there was there was a lot going on. Plus, World Domination Summit 13 years ago, because, I mean, it did. They did take a couple of years off. I think it was 12 years ago or whatever. And then they came back for the 10th one. Mike Vardy was able to hang at the late night party. <laughs> to, uh, but by the time that the uh, you know, this one was done. Uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to stick around for a bit, say goodbye to some people and take off. But we, we never had a chance. And I just want to say yours was, yours was a, a fantastic talk. I, you know, I'd had read uh, elements of the book that you convey some of this in, in, in the book as well as the story, but um, a mutual friend of ours, Mike Pacione, uh was asking like, how did Tiago, I'm like, Tiago killed it. Like you, you knocked it out of the park. So I want to make sure that, that I, I got that out, out of the way, right out of the gate. It was a great, great Thank talk. You. Thank you so much. That was a, uh, one of my, I mean, definitely, maybe probably the biggest talk I've done. I was sweating bullets, um, but looking back at the at just the friendly friendliness of the crowd is was so was so encouraging. It was it was uh, my there, my two favorite parts. I'll go with the one that was like the 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 funny part was the apple uh, apple apologist level stuff that you had to do on occasion, which we get a lot. It's funny. Um, you use circle as well for your memberships and your courses. And I use it as well. And that's the biggest thing that they're saying right now is where's the Android app? Where's the Android app? And we're like, we're not as concerned about that to a degree. I'm glad that they're working on it. But I mean, that was funny to kind of say like, you know, yeah, yeah. I don't know what your Android note taking apps are or whatever. I've actually ex- tried to expand my knowledge on it, but it's hard. The, the thing, keeping up with apps on iOS and Mac alone are challenging. But the thing that I really liked um, that kind of, I love the way you were able to um, bring what people can understand to the mix when you were talking about the second brain, you know, idea, the, the extended mind, which you bring up in the book as well. But this idea of the second brain where you said, you know, we have all of these prosthetics and these other things that enhance other parts of of our body. Like I wear these glasses. I wear progressive lenses. If I don't wear these, I can't see. Right. So we have those, but you brought up that we don't really have those 
for our brain. And that was like that moment I thought was the moment where everyone kind of leaned in a bit more. You know what I mean? Because I don't think anyone's really thought about it that way, but you clearly have. Yeah. We have prosthetics for every other part of the body, except the most important one, the mind. It's just very strange. It's a very strange situation. It, it, it to me, that, that was a, one of the aha moments as I started to go through just the idea of personal knowledge management. And then when we get into the second brain component specifically, one of the things that uh, I mentioned to you when we, we, we talked was the idea that building a second brain, which I have right here on my Kindle. Um, I told you that this was like for where we're at now in the productivity space and for the in knowledge management, all that's productivity comes up in here as well. But the idea, this, this to me was like what David Allen was doing for productivity Building a Second Brain, this book is going to be the one that does it for this particular space. Um, and I think it's already shown that. I mean, you're a best-selling author at this point. The The phenomenon is growing. When you started to put together the Second Brain concepts, was this in your wildest imagination that things would get to this level? Was not. Was not. I just went on Medium one day to rant about how much I hate tags one late evening. <laughs> that was the extent of my ambition. And then one thing literally led to another. And it took me years, it took me several years to finally have the light bulb go off that other people were looking for this kind of content. And eventually they, they, you know, they got me to see that it was worth dedicating some, some real effort to. Uh, I honestly can't believe that that one little random medium post all these years, six, seven years later, has led to, you know, a book, a course, a whole, a whole business I'm trying to build around it. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. And, and again, most things start with a itch you're, you're trying to scratch, right? And tagging is something that comes up a lot. It, it, it drives me nuts that we, we still live kind of in a folder-based world, right? You know what I mean? Like we live in, because that's the way we were taught in the analog sense, right? Like you got a filing cabinet, you put the files in the file folders and they're very objective, right? Like this means this and the, and the way tagging works to me is it's very subjective and it connects things. It's the same thing when you use a task app like Todoist, using labels for those modalities that you need cross-section across projects, which are very objective, right? So if you're thinking, uh, I only have five minutes to do something, let me look at all the labels that have five minutes attached to them. Oh, look, I can move eight projects forward. Like that's the way our mind is designed to work, right? It's designed to think in those modalities and those subjective ways rather than objectively. Why don't you think tagging is caught on as much as maybe it, it, it should? I mean, I'll give an example, Mac OS, right? Like the Mac OS system has tagging. How many people use it? How many people, it, Apple is, I don't even think really, um, magnifying or amplifying the, the use of tags in their OS. Why do you think it's such a tough nut to crack uh, in, the, in the general sense? I think it's just way too labor intensive. You know, I actually did research on, uh, actually, Mike, hold on one sec. I have sure. a little device here making some sound. That's okay. And don't, don't recommend putting a washing machine in your office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. My, my kids are home from school today. Uh, it's a, it's a professional development day. So I've like, I'm live streaming from one to two. It's a podcast. It's going to go live. And so my daughter's like, well, my friends are coming. I'm like, don't ring the doorbell. Like there's all these little things, but yeah, um, probably not a good idea to put a laundry machine in, in a place where you 
Podcast. I, I thought I was being so clever in fitting that in here, and no, it's not a good idea. Yeah, there's certain kind of things you can't tandem task uh, in the same location. So yeah, like I mean, again, back to the idea of tagging. This, you, you, I mean, yeah, labor intensivity is definitely a huge part of that, right? Yeah, you know, I, I did some research on where tagging came from, and it really came from this this era, like in the '70s, when computer time was you paid for it or you reserved it by the minute. There's all these stories of like people would go, you know, students, computer science students back in the 70s, 80s, they'd go into the library and they would plan their searches and their computations, like on little note cards. They would, they would, you know, pre-think it and really plan it out and, and strategize because once they got into the computer room, they wanted to be able to feed in those cards, get the results as fast as possible. That's actually the origin of tags. It was basically computer time was more expensive than human time. So you spent a lot of human time to save the computer a little bit of time. And it's flipped. It's flipped now. Now it's flipped. It's completely right? flipped. Now wow. you want to use a lot of computer time <laughs> to save you even just one minute of human time. <laughs> well, and, and I think that the connectivity of a tag helps because your brain is, I mean, at least for me, and this is the kind of stuff I teach when we talk about like working by modalities and using using tagging, because you and I are on the same page with this completely, is it it connects things in a far more human way because you're not thinking, and, and I'll do this with people a lot, I'll say, you know, um, would you wash your dishes in the bathroom? And they're like, no, I'm like, but could you? Well, yes, I could. I go, but you don't, <laughs> right? Cause you wouldn't. And by the way, there's more places to wash your dishes in the bathroom than in the kitchen in most That's cases, true. right? That's Bathtub, true. sink, toilet. If you really want to get desperate, <laughs> of course in the upper tank, right? But in the, in the kitchen, there's generally only a couple places, maybe the dishwasher, but then the machine's doing it or the main sink. And they're like, well, I'm like, well, why wouldn't you do that? Well, we don't do that there. I'm like, so the connective, the bathroom is meant for these things. The kitchen is meant for these things, but dishes are, you could, you could in a pinch in a kitchen rental or things like that, do that. So if you start to, and that's why I appreciated about during the talk where you said the prosthetic for your brain that's where people, that's why I think where, where this kind of break, these breakthroughs happen. I, th I wonder, and I'd love to hear what your feed, the feedback you've got from, from the book in terms of, has it been like, do people say this seems like a lot of work? This seems like really challenging, very much like getting things done. David Allen faced that too. A lot of people are like, Hey, you know what? This is, it's a, it's a short book, but man, is it a deep book? Like, have you, and if you've gotten that feedback, uh, what are your, what are your challenges to the reader, but also to yourself to try to make it a little less onerous, let's say? Yeah, I definitely heard that. I've always heard that, you know, this is a, this is a particular approach to productivity that is not sort of a collection of different tips and tricks. It's a system, mm -hmm. right? It's a, it's a kind of holistic, pretty comprehensive, you know, integrated system. That you're creating, uh, which I think makes is what makes it powerful, is what gives it leverage. But it also means there's a hump, there's an activation energy that you have to get over a certain amount of time that it takes before it starts saving time. Right? Yep. Uh, it's definitely, I think, one of the current, the one of the main concerns across this entire landscape of like productivity systems, tools for thought, second brains, uh, and so there's different ways to kind of alleviate those concerns. I mean, first I'd say it's not necessarily for everyone. 
Right. You know, if you just don't have the, the, the scale of challenge you're trying to overcome, the complexity of problems to solve, the, the, the volume of information, uh, there's certain like situations that a second brain was, was built for. Uh, but also what I really try to do in my teaching and my coaching and, and all that is to find just these simple initial use cases. You know, people don't, it shouldn't necessarily like try to like write the next great American novel as their very first project. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. And they shouldn't jump in all at once. I mean, that's the other thing, what I appreciate about the second brain, you know, model system framework. I mean, it's all those things. The approach is that unlike many of them, many systems, you don't have to try to do it all at once. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very, that was one thing I appreciated. And I think that that's, I think that's emerging in the systems and frameworks that are coming to life over the last, say, 10, 15 years, is you mentioned the book, The Idea of Novel in Public, and then Timeless in Private. That timelessness is something that needs to be built upon, like it's a, sl- it's, it's a slow burn or maybe even just a slow adoption. And bit by bit, you add these things to the mix until you know, it feels as frictionless as possible. And I think people are more amenable to that than the whole, you know, well, all right, I've got my book now. I'm going to go in, I'm going to do this, you know, hundred percent or 150%. And then all of a sudden something, something small doesn't work. And then the whole house of cards falls apart. The way that second brains built is that I haven't found that flaw, that, that death star, like kind of flaw where it's like, we overlook that. I, I haven't found it there. Um, which I think is, is a testimony to the kind of work you put into this. Yeah. I mean, I really hope so. I think that's exactly right. It's like, you know, because this system is personal, it is unique to you. It really is only being used by you. It, it shouldn't be highly engineered. It shouldn't be highly, you know, linear and highly and rigid and all those things. No one else has to interact with it. You know, note-taking can and therefore should be messy, informal, a little chaotic, a little idiosyncratic. Those are those things are all perfectly fine, and that's what makes them resilient, right? Yep. It's like rigid, formal systems cannot withstand change. Therefore, most systems that actually stand the test of time in our personal lives have to be informal. It's it's interesting because um, when I was on uh, the Baron Fig podcast a few a couple years ago. Joey, I was talking about time crafting and he, he said, it sounds really rigid. I'm like, it, it sounds like that to you because it's not, you can't, my brain works that way. Your brain does not work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my brain will um, my, uh, automatically go from, I wake up in the morning. What day is it? Okay. This daily theme means this. Oh, wait, I've done all the things that are for that daily theme. Okay. How do I feel right now? Okay. I'm kind of tired. How do I, what do I do when I'm tired? They're like, well, why would you put all that there? Why wouldn't you just do what's next on the list? I'm like, because that is what's next on the list based on the, and it's the same thing, right? I mean, I think that, that we've been taught that to work in this very linear, you know, quote efficient. And, and I mean, there's a whole rabbit hole we could go down around that, but it's again, we're, we're, I think that the, the bill of goods we've been sold is there is an objective way to do things and we must do it that way. How hard is it for someone to break free from that and work subjectively? And what maybe are some of the things, if someone wants, again, that quick, you know, invite to the subjective way of, of, you know, working and thinking and collecting and learning. And we're going to talk about code here in a minute. Um, What's one like kind of trigger that you find 
can get people to go, oh, wait a minute. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try a little bit more. I'm going to dig into this a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, in my course, what I have people do is pick one project. Pick one project that is a bit challenging, that is a bit complicated, that, but that is important that finishing it and finishing it with less time and effort and stress than would normally be required would actually be meaningful. And then to focus on that completely, you know, like, like in my situation, the first three, four years that I was doing this stuff, the only thing I was trying to manage was my health, my health condition right. that I talked about in the book. It was my second brain, which I didn't call it that at that time was just a medical record management system. So I got to completely focus on the needs and the constraints and the goals of managing my, you know, my patient notes. Uh, and then for another year or two, it was just to keep my head above water in my first uh, professional job working for a consulting firm. And then a couple of years after that, it was only ideas for my blog. And then only after like seven, eight years of this that I start to realize, wait a minute, this is actually a general purpose problem solving tool. It can encompass my entire life. But if I had started there, it would have been completely overwhelming. You can't, you can't just instantly boot up an entire life management system, especially one that you copy wholesale from someone else. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I mean, let's use the example of the new iOS that came out. Uh, my wife and my mother-in-law are not the most tech savvy of people. They, they can opt, but, but they don't like the change. So where I'm getting ready to upgrade them and I'm like, okay, you can go to 15.7 or, and right below it says upgrade to 16.0. I'm like, this is going to be thrust upon you at some point anyway. So do you want it to be thrust upon you while you've got somebody here that knows a bit more about what this is going to look like, or at least can be the sounding board when you bitch and complain about the fact that things aren't where they were before? Uh, or do you want to wait? And both of them were like, first, their instant reaction was like, ugh. Why do they always, and so that, that happened and, and then it was like, fine, do it. So that way, like the, the band-aids ripped off. Right. I, I think that, that when they have a guide or someone to kind of help navigate them through, or they have, you know, they, they can make those choices. They can, they can work with it, but they're not going to go deep into all of the elements of what iOS 16 has to offer. They're not going to add multiple lock screens or anything like that. Wow. They just want to be able to get back to where they were. And I think you're right. I think a lot of people, when they try to adopt new systems, new frameworks, they, especially when they confuse it, they, they want to achieve, right? They're like, I want to get things done. This system will help me. I, Evernote's a great example, right? Like using a tool like Evernote. And I know you still use Evernote, right? You're still, you're still, do, heavily, yeah. right. Evernote, when it came out, gosh, how many, 15 years ago, easily. Um, I know I was one of the earlier, earlier users and I still have my Evernote account. Um, I tend to use it as a digital filing cabinet more than anything else now, which, you know, I guess is to a degree, uh, the, the forebearer of, you know, what, what is going on now with PKM. But, um, People would download Evernote and then they would load it with everything, like yes. everything. And then they'd go, well, this is a mess. I'm like, well, yeah, all you did was move a, a disorganized pile from one to the other. And so this idea of working on one project and you, it was a massive project. Like patient notes are not nothing. Mm -hmm. Patient notes are like, there's a lot there. When mm -hmm. you, when you finally had that, you know, that mea culpa or that, that epiphany of like, wait a minute. This is a general purpose system. What was your hesitation to go all in? Was there any? Was there any hesitation to say, well, I don't know, this is still not fully baked? Like, was there oh, anything yeah. like that? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the big hesitation was my methods are so simple. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepasswordcom slash Productive Convo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now... You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. There's so something was wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it couldn't be. You know, like Para, which is my organizing system, is four folders. Mm-hmm. Okay, four folders, put everything in those four folders. People can't believe. And I almost felt embarrassed you know, to, to advise, you know, elite high end knowledge worker professionals to implement something so simple. Progressive summarization is highlighting intermediate packets is just breaking down your projects into small pieces. It's all practically common sense in my opinion. That's the thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you're right. I think that this idea of complex equals smart equals like sophisticated. I mean, Joyce here in the, for those that are listening to this episode, of course, we've recorded in advance for time crafting trust premium members, Joyce, who's a lifetime premium member saying she loves code with the code process. She loves para like she's using that stuff and she's doing stuff. That's got a lot of layers of, of, of stuff of complexity. But if the system to your point, I think that's, that's the thing. If the system has a simplicity to it, it can manage things that have multiple layers, but I think people get it 
bass backwards. It's like, well, the system has to be really complex so we can handle anything. And that's, I mean, that, that's not timeless. That's, that's the novel, right? That's, that's the novel stuff. And frankly, we've seen that stuff fall by the wayside more times than not. Exactly. It's so tempting to go after something impressive, uh, something new, you know, it's like the very same people who are voracious readers, they, they learn for fun. You know, they watch documentaries, not because they have to, but because they want to learn stuff, tend to be curious, novelty seeking people by, Mm -hmm. by their nature. And so that same seeking of novelty applies to their tools and they tend to jump around one from one thing to another. The true purpose of a second brain system is to completely fade into the background. Yeah. Like the same way, you know, imagine a, a painter who's in flow by definition, they're not thinking about, you know, what length of paintbrush and the, the kind of bristles on the brush and what kind of canvas, all those implementation details have to fade away for you to really get into flow. And I, I think it's like digital tools have been so full of friction and cumbersome for so long that we, we don't even, we don't even have that expectation or hope that they could really fade into the background, but they like, that's like, like, I think this is one of the big messages kind of like lurking in the background of my work is I really believe knowledge work is an art form. Mm-hmm. It's a creative medium, like painting, like music, like dance, like sports. It's not the modern equivalent of the factory worker on the production line, just mindlessly, you know, hammering that thing or screwing that screw. And if that's true, imagine if that's true, we have to think as, as artists, as creators, as craftspeople at, at many more subtle levels than we've been prepared to. Well, and the other thing is, is that we can manage knowledge better than we can manage time because time moves on whether we want it to or not. Mm, right. That's so, a great framing. Right. So, and this actually leads to a really interesting question from um, Eric uh, Colby at Eric Colby on Twitter. He says, I understand productivity and PKM are different. Can you discuss the difference both in terms of where they are mutually beneficial and where they are most distinct? That's that I think. That's a nice segue into that question because uh, there are some threads between productivity and PKM, but they're not one in the same. Yeah, I'd say there's strong overlap. And I think PKM would, at least the way that I do it, would be solidly in the umbrella of productivity. But I would say as for differences, it's sort of like we're, we're passing a couple thresholds. Um, I think one threshold is that before now, it was like there was a battle between analog productivity tools and digital ones. You could kind of say, oh, you know, you can go one direction or the other. And now it's it's like, A, you can't ignore software. No. You just can't. It's become too powerful, too pervasive, too connected to everything, too easy to use. If you're not leveraging software, you are living in the 20th century. Yep. Or earlier. <laughs> or earlier. <laughs> Um, and then B really all of us have to use both, Mm -hmm. right? This, this idea that you have to like pick one, I'm going to have a digital note-taking system or a paper note-taking system. We all have to deal with paper and software all the time. So it's like, what is the overarching set of principles? Like what is the overarching set of principles that is not, that is agnostic to platform agnostic to paper or digital that just work that are, that are timeless. And that's what I've tried to, to introduce. It's, it's funny because as we talk about the idea of analog and digital, I'm literally looking at my Baron Fig 
I call this a satellite notebook because it's literally nothing permanent goes in here. It's kind of, again, we talked about comment. You talk about commonplace books in the, uh, in the book, there's waste books, which has also come up. I think it was, um, uh, what's the, the germ, the, the late German, uh, really short guy. Gosh, I wish I could remember. Um, Lichtenberg, I think it was. Oh, okay. Um, he had waste books. Um, Mm. it came up in the book soon. Um, a book on procrastination, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, he basically kept a lot of stuff in waste books, but never actually like did much with them. So that's the point is that this, this is literally these notebooks here, these tiny ones ultimately end up somewhere. I trust, mm-hmm. you know, for long-term storage. But mm-hmm. what's funny is that I trust these to get them there. So mm-hmm. it's all about trust. And a lot of people will say, well, yeah, I'm either an analog or a digital. I'm like, I'm, uh, we're all hybrid. Like you mentioned, like they all are part of it, but we live in a world that really likes it's either this or that. Like, mm-hmm. and I think that's what's another piece of friction for people adopting things like tagging versus foldering. Both have their place. Same mm-hmm. thing with your, the framework you've built, which, you know, frankly, it, it, there's no one right absolute way to do it. You've given like some codification to it. You've given some fr- structure, but within that structure, there's lots of room to play, right? You're giving me so many ideas, Mike. I, <laughs> I'm kind of wanting to turn to the side here and take some notes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I like how you just said codification. I should use that as a, uh, as a thing, like to put your work into code, into my code framework is a codification of that. <laughs> I think we all, I mean, we're living in a world of no code right now, right? I mean, there's a lot of people talking about like, look at Notion. The reason Notion's taken off, I think is because it allows people to do so much with it. Evernote had the same thing. Notion mm-hmm. has to be careful to not fall in the same trap that Evernote did, which is, we don't know what we are. So that's yeah. the other thing too, is that we have this weird dichotomy of it's either got to be this way or that way. But if we don't, <laughs> it, we, if we try to be too wishy-washy about it, if we try to go like, there's no absolute middle, there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's a leaning and you kind of lean whichever way the situation or circumstances require, which is why, like, again, great example. If I'm sitting, having a, you and I are sitting, having a coffee I'll probably take notes in this notebook rather than on my phone for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, you know, I'm writing down, you know, there's a good chance I'm writing down something that you've said that resonates, right? Uh, If I'm using my phone, I'm connected to so much more. For all Mm. you know, I'm texting my wife or I'm writing an email, right? So there are, there's some decorum pieces to this too, that where paper might make the most sense in that moment, but then how do you make sure that it gets from here to the final quote resting place or place of incubation? This gets into code, right? Like the capture process. So I think that there's something there too, right? I I found the same. I used to take detailed notes on my phone, tablet, or computer. So I was like, Oh, I want to be able to search this tag it, all that stuff. And then I had the same realization that actually, you know, when I'm with someone in person, what matters is my presence. What matters is that they feel listened to and respected. What matters is that I'm there with them, you know, as human beings. 
And so even though it's not optimal, it's not, you know, the ultimate solution. I have, I have also started uh, or some time ago started taking paper notes and then I just digitize them afterwards, take a photo. Well, and now you can, the phone lets you do that and it's copy paste. And actually I'd argue that it is optimal because you're now servicing the right relationship. You've just had, how, how old are your kids now? You've got. I have a two-year-old. Yeah. So this will be a great example. As somebody who has raised now, we've got an 18 year old and a 12 year old. When I go to the park, this comes out if I have a note, not a phone, because then the kids see, oh, dad's not really here. He's mm. checking his phone, da, 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 da. Whereas if I'm pulling out a notebook, that's just what dad does. That's just that. So there's, oh, I'm going to use that. Right? So it's the same thing. Boundaries with kids are really, like the idea of right now, I've used this since my, my daughter was like four, and my son has always assumed this. I have a hotel door hanging thing on my, on my study door. If the door hanging thing is on, it means Mike's in like, don't knock, don't do anything. Keep quiet. Something's going on in here. If the door's shut, you can knock. I'm probably doing something, but I'm not doing a coaching call or I'm not having a podcast. Doors wide open. Come on in. So it's again, this codification, right? Like this is what this is, right? Like they see this notebook. My phone is in my pocket just in case something happens, but I've also done things like custom ringtone or vibrations. If it's a regular ringtone, I don't know who it is. If it's a regular mm. vibration, I don't know who it is. But if it's a specific vibration, so for example, my wife's is um, the Imperial March, but I mean, nonetheless, it's what it is. <laughs> so I know what it, I'm like, oh, that's my wife. I better get that. And number, what's hilarious about that is I know to answer that. I ignore everything else. And yet people around me, I'll be like, oh, I have to get this. It's my wife. How did you know? Like I took a moment and mm. prepared that. And this is what like, the friction point initially is the preparation, is the setting up, is the capturing. Mm. And one thing that whenever when I've when I heard you speak about it, then I read in the book, capture what resonates. I wanna clarify that to a degree because my thing has always been capture everything, regret nothing. If you capture mm. it, yes, you're capturing noise, but you get to filter that out later. Mm-hmm. How challenging is it for someone when when it's resonant? The resonance, how do you decide? How do you, how do you understand? Okay. Is, is it a muscle? Is it something where you're like, I'm going to capture everything until I get that habit down. Then I'm going to capture what resonates. Like, how did that work for you? Because I, I can tell you, I'd be afraid to like, Oh, I didn't capture that. I might want that later. Uh, mm-hmm. It may not resonate now, but I, it might be connected to something later. It's a great question. It's a great question. So I think the reason that I, that I sort of settled on that and, and give that advice is um, I think it's important that people use note-taking to get in touch with their intuition. A lot of people use note-taking to not have to listen to their intuition. Sometimes it's like, let me just, I guess, write it all down. Whereas I, I really think to avoid that sort of digital dumpster effect you know, like, like when you save too much, basically the, the problem is down the line, you're creating extra work right. to have to process, digest, filter. Mm-hmm. And that's where people really get stuck is when there's just too much of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to have people be more selective about what they keep, but using sort of their intuition, because here's the thing, if you may capture too analytical, if you have like some people want like a 10 point checklist, you know, the exact criteria, to me, of the four steps of code, capture is the one that kind of 
it, it doesn't really add that much value. It's kind of just like you just document it. You yeah. just save. Right. The real value comes in later steps, especially like distill and express. Right. So I'm trying to have capture be automated, have it be minimalistic as little as possible and to have it be that kind of system one, that little intuition, that gut check rather than this very highly energy intensive analytical process. So let's, let's use an example. I've caught myself capturing things multiple times the same thing if i write it down in this notebook which to me is a signal this is clearly important it's bothering me it's 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 you know what have you and then it goes to either click up or to do list if it's a task if it goes to um i'm still trying to figure out what what software i'm using for pkm obsidian looks nice napkin there's a whole bunch of different options which again can cause paralysis for a lot of people um but uh in your instance, what you're saying is, and, and I, I, I can definitely get behind this, is if you don't capture, if you capture what resonates, but something keeps coming to mind mm-hmm. that you haven't captured, then that's mm-hmm. clearly showing that it resonates in some way, shape, or form. So you, you, you definitely want to get that down. It's not just like the, I want to go to Bali, and then you just leave it alone, and then all of a sudden it comes back up again. You're like, well, wait a minute. I've thought about going to Bali at least three times in the mm-hmm. last six months. Why haven't I written it down, Right. So I better Absolutely. get it, better it's get it a, out of my head. Right. It's the great rule of thumb. If it keeps coming up, often it's those kinds of things are prompted by something in the environment. You may not even be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Some little little trigger, some little thing that reminded you of that idea. So the idea is is persistently in your head. It just needs something in your environment to kind of trigger it or provoke it. Um, and it's a sign that it does resonate with you. You keep noticing it. You know, the, the million things you could pay attention to external or internal at any given moment, if your attention repeatedly is getting caught by that thing, it's such a good sign. Um, one of the things that I've done is because it doesn't just show up maybe once every week or two or once or twice a week, uh, Halloween decorations. So we're, as we're recording this, we're getting ready for Halloween years ago. I put into my task management system, put up Halloween decorations, and it's a recurring task that shows up again and again and again. Why? I don't want to have to think about it because it's yeah. an external environment. Like, the, when do I think about it if I didn't have it there? Mm-hmm. The first time I'm walking in the neighborhood and I see somebody with her Halloween decorations, I'm like, yeah. oh, right. Or, and this is what Costco did, does and did and still does very well. If you ever shopped at a Costco, you know that in July, Halloween stuff starts showing up. Yeah. Why? Because no one's you're, you're they're competing against no one at that point in time. There's no attention people are giving and others have started to adopt that model. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I have where Target's now bringing stuff out way earlier and Walmart like other businesses are going, "Well, wait a minute. We want to make sure we get their attention sooner as well." So now all of a sudden Costco's putting Christmas stuff out in August with the hope that they're going to get your, cause someone's walking through, they're going, you know what? We need new Christmas lights. I better buy them now. And so now they're in a position of, I'm going to make that decision and do it now, as opposed to, Hey, every November 1st, I want to start thinking about putting up Christmas decorations, or I want to go shopping for Christmas decorations or whatever. I think there's some instances where you capture once and then you can kind of, that's the organization phase, right? That's, that's actually the, the, the remaining elements to a degree, but the organization part for sure. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, it kind of brings up this bigger point too, which is if you don't do this stuff, which in, in a sense is like structuring your environment, mm-hmm. structuring your behavior, structuring your time, structuring your your informational surroundings, uh, other people are going to do it for you. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Companies, marketers, ads, they're, they're not, it's not this free, you know, level playing field out there of just nothing going on. It's like you either do it for yourself or someone else is going to structure your life for you. Or, and if you do it habitually enough, like let's say, so for right now, Halloween is a big deal around our household, at least for the next few years. But then after that, it's not. Yeah. So if I remove it from a system I trust and it, Halloween's coming around, I'm like, wait a minute. I know I removed it. It's no longer of value or important to me. It's n- no Costco can't tell me to buy Halloween decorations because I'm like, we don't do it anymore. <laughs> so it, it almost works both ways because I can tell you when my kids are no longer trick or treating, there's a good chance that our lights will be out on Halloween, at least until the grandkids come around or something like that, or maybe not. But it's nice to have your, again, it's agency, like you're talking about, you're taking ownership of it. And that's kind of what, I mean, with the second brain, that that's what that is in a lot of cases. It's you're having ownership over your ideas, your thoughts, your insights. And so you're not as corruptible to a degree of, of what's coming at you, vying for your attention elsewhere. Totally. That's a be- that was a beautiful, you know, return back to the uh, the second brain theme. It's really true. It's really true. There's a there's a line between reminding yourself to prepare for Halloween and Christmas, and reminding yourself of you know that brainstorm you did a few months ago. Reminding yourself of that idea f- to improve your product. Reminding yourself of even stuff like you know one of my favorite notebooks in Evernote is Christmas gifts. Mm. Uh, I am not a natural gift giver. I left to my own devices, I would forget everyone's birthdays and Christmas all the time. And so I just uh, made a notebook where every time I come across a good gift of any kind, I just put it in there. And every time I have to buy a gift, which is usually at the very last minute, right before the birthday, right before Christmas, I have this, it's almost like a ongoing slow burn of a brainstorm that's always happening in the background. Mm-hmm. And as a result, everyone in my family and my friends think I'm an incredibly thoughtful gift giver. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I have the same, I have, uh, of course I used to do this for the personal stuff. So I'll have in there, you know, months in advance, buy birthday gift for so-and-so or get birthday Christmas cards or another one. Mm -hmm. If you don't send those out, I live on Vancouver Island, which means it's an extra day to get things off the Island. And then it's another, Canada is a big country. takes like a week to get across. So I'd rather, and then you don't want them to arrive during the, you want to arrive like by middle of December at the latest. So December 1st, that's when that task comes up. And what's interesting. And I think this is again, a level of agency is it doesn't say do Christmas cards. It says decide when to do Christmas cards. So it's even like that level of, Mm. okay, I'm not doing them today, but I'm going to draw a line in the sand as to when. Now that's that's a level of of um, extreme that I take that maybe you wouldn't or somebody else wouldn't. But for me, it's important that my list doesn't say you must do this today. It's like no. Here, this, because December 1st last year was on a Monday, and Monday is not the day you do that kind of stuff. Instead, you do that on a Saturday. So you'll wait five days to do it. So then you just move it to, so it, it's this, again, it's, it, it is flow. And back to what Joey said on the Baron Fig Pot, it seems really rigid. I'm like, for you, yes. You'd probably like, oh my goodness, like, why do you have to create another task that says do it when it's decided? I'm like, I don't create a new task. I just move it to that day. And my brain knows, oh, I've already decided because that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the organization. But distilling and expressing, I want to get to before we get to some final questions from people who, who are asking. And actually, I think this is a good time for this one because it's no processing, right? So uh, Pierre Stanley Baptiste uh, at Pierre S. Baptiste on Twitter asks, how does one integrate the habit of note processing 
in his or her life. Um, he, he notes that you're a big advocate for note using, noting using tags, which we've talked about, but how does he connect notes re- related to each other? Notes that are not part of like, say the same project or folder. How do you, uh, like, can you address that? Yeah. So the way I think of this is in the paper world, you had to process notes because it was so paper is so kind of hard to work with. It's so full of friction that you basically have to get the note that you originally captured, which was usually in some like dashed off, very cursory, you know, form, Mm -hmm. uh, what, uh, Lumen called fleeting notes, I believe like it was just temporary basically. And you had to convert them into some evergreen format. I don't know, on a hardier stock of paper with a better title, with better handwriting, with this little you know numbering system. That is all a legacy of paper. But with digital, first of all, we're taking. There's a couple of things that have changed. First of all, we're taking so many more notes. You know, like many of my notes, I don't even have to take. They just appear. I use Readwise. Yeah. So like yep. anytime I make a highlight in a book. I make a highlight in an Instapaper article. Notes just appear in my Evernote. And now the beta just got uh, released to me like a couple days ago. So I'm like digging into the that reader, as well. The reader. The app. reader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got the, the read. Well, Readwise. Readwise has their new their new app, right? Yes. So it's the reader app. Yeah, for, for Readwise. It's going to take off even more. There will be even more notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and both that's, again, blessing and a curse, right? Like, depending on how you want to look at it. But if you have something you trust, it's not so much of the latter, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so that's the first point is the volume is taking off. So that processing to me, I personally don't feel like I have the time for that. I don't, I'm not going to sit down each week and laboriously one at a time process, reformat my notes. It's like the weekly review and getting things done. It's the, it's a pain point. It's it's, it's a huge point. It's where people drop off. Exactly. It's, it's, you know what it is? It's a lot of time and effort every week for very unclear benefit. Why are you doing that for some unknown far off future problem? Right. So what I prefer to do, and this is the second point is, you know, once it's captured, once it's digital, it's preserved forever. Like there's no such thing as a fleeting digital note. If it exists in the software, it is essentially preserved forever synced across all my different devices. So the processing does need to be done to just translate it into your own context. But I prefer to get that ritual and just postpone it far into the future to the moment that I actually need that information, which is usually when I'm starting a project, trying to solve a problem, trying to reach a goal. It's like, I'm just, I'm putting the creation of the solution, which is that little bit of information as close in time to the actual thing it's trying to achieve as possible, rather than processing way in advance and hoping that someday it becomes valuable. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not projecting it. You're basically, you know, letting it, Letting it sit until it's needed, right? Um, exactly. And that's where tagging. So, what tag would you use? What tags would you use to kind of illustrate that? Does it even? I don't use, I don't use tags. I'm not a fan of tags. So you're not uh, tag, even though that was your initial like railing point on Medium, the idea of tagging. You don't use tags at all. For, oh, it was against tags. I was. It was a rant against, against it. Tagging. Right. 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 So, so you don't use tags. Sorry, that was a that was a mis- that was a confusion on my part. So you're missing tag. <laughs> so the tags in and of themselves, don't connect the notes. It's, it's the fact that you're delaying their, the need to look at them until it makes sense. There's sense-making involved here, right? Yeah. I wonder, see, for me, tagging is such an integral part of that because of the fact that there's a modality attached to a tag. I've made, I guess I've made tags meaningful. Maybe that's, that's the key. Whereas 
there's no need for you to make meaning for them if they don't really serve you within the framework that you're using, right? Yeah, I mean, this definitely speaks to why it's so important for each person to uh, to figure out their own system. Um, but the, the this was actually the the last part of that person's question was connectivity. Yeah, so I want to I want to give my take on connections. Yeah, because I'd go tag. So this is interesting because I'd figure out how you connect. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is kind of the the era we're living in. We're living in the connectivity age, not just the internet and and all that, the web, but uh, this whole generation of Obsidian, Rome, LogSeq, Athens. There's like a whole crop of linked linked based or networked notes apps. So here's my take on this: is obviously connectivity is important. It's the very heart and soul of creativity and productivity. But in a funny way, it's like to me the the linking that happens in one of those apps or with tags is far too rudimentary. Right. It's far too basic. Like to say this note is connected to that note. Okay. Well, that, that is, that is not, not an informative thing for me to know because it depends so much on exact, again, I, I bring it back to the project I'm working on, the problem I'm trying to solve, the challenge I'm trying to overcome right? Like depending on the challenge, the whole set of connections in my second brain may not have any validity for the right. particular thing I'm working on. They may all need to change, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't, I can't predict what I'm going to be working on in the future. It could be, it will be something I can't even, I don't even expect. Therefore, I prefer once again to wait to do all that connecting and linking, which is effort, postpone it into the future to the time that I actually need it. And I can do that because software is so good at this. You can create a huge number of connections almost just in time, in minutes, right in the in the moment that it's needed. That's my my spiel. <laughs> so I want to touch on this before we wrap up. Uh, you mentioned Jerry Seinfeld and the idea of you know him him capturing things, and you know it, that comes up. I have you seen the movie Comedian, perchance the one no, with him? And no. okay, so there's an interesting because they both have their him and another comedian named Orny Adams. It's from the '90s. And it's kind of like the following of each of them to see, you know, how each of their careers go. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, you've never heard of Orny Adams. So clearly we know who, <laughs> who won that one. But it's interesting yeah. because Seinfeld was almost all analog and Orny was like using Excel to structure jokes and all that stuff. And I find because I've done comedy and because I've done a lot of that stuff is that comedians are are often really good at, I mean, the, the idea of a joke is often, or, or a bit is like making the ordinary, extraordinary, the extraordinary, ordinary. That's where some of the, the humor comes into play and observational and things like that. So Seinfeld pulling over, pulling out a notebook and writing notes down and things like that. The question that, that I find fascinating is to your point about like when, when these ideas need to be reconnected or when they need to be connected at all is for somebody like, for somebody like him, it's, almost always happening. Like there's all the, the primary brain is almost always drawing those connections to a degree. The role of the second brain from what we're, is, is almost to pull it, push it outside of you. So you can look at it from a more objective way, even though it's kind of the way that you're thinking anyways, like, is that kind of the, the landscape that if someone was to think about it in those terms, that's kind of, you're, you're putting it in front of you to go, okay, let's see what, what's happening here. That is a great, great observation. That is, that is exactly how I'm thinking of it is like, there's nothing the human brain, the first brain does more. Like I can show you any two objects, you know, here's a LaCroix can and a coffee mug. Mm -hmm. What's the connection? 
They're both vessels. They're both vessels that hold liquid, right? right? Yeah. Oh yeah. There's lots of things. Both have caffeine, depending on what little Croix. (laughs) (laughs) I can show you any two objects in the universe. The human Mm -hmm. mind will find some commonality. Yep. Right. So what that tells me is a, we shouldn't use software to do something the human mind does completely effortlessly and intuitively. B, because we do it so intuitively. It's almost like I want to wait, not create all these very explicit connections. I want to be surprised. Mm-hmm. I want to like dive into my second brain with a specific thing I'm trying to accomplish and not have all these pre-made connections for me. Like those I think are just as likely to limit my thinking as, as to expand it. Right. Um, and so it's really, I'm just, I'm just kind of trying to have an invi- a soup, a soup of interesting ideas, almost free floating no very hard associations or connections, just little groupings. There's actually a, there's a scientific principle called the small world property, mm-hmm. which is that innovation happens when there's these little kind of informal agglomerations of ideas, right? Not hard walls or silos, but just little, like little clouds, right? Mm-hmm. And I just want to kind of roam through those clouds with my current, you know, need in mind and just see in that instant all the connections maybe i might make the connections in software but i I see just no i see no very little value in in doing all that work ahead of time i think the only reason that to me that would happen is if people are feeling overwhelmed and they don't know what to do next it gives them something maybe to to bank on to so let me give you an example Uh, back to what i was talking about earlier about lower energy high energy if they are starting their day and they're th- they see everything, because that's what they're seeing is everything, and they are in a position where they don't have the capacity to make a choice but where they want to go, having something that they can connect with almost immediately, like, how do I feel? I feel tired. Okay. There's mm-hmm. a jumping off point. Let me see everything that I want to see when I'm tired. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's a benefit, but you're mm-hmm. right. I think it can be over-engineered. I can absolutely be. I think if we rely too much on that, then it becomes very, we've leaned too far the other way towards we're trying to be a machine when we're yeah. human, right? I think you're right. You're right. It, is, it is so important to have a, have a task you can perform that adds value, but that you can do even when you're very low energy, like not at your peak. Because yeah. the truth is, you're not at your peak probably what, like 80, 90% of the time. It's yeah. just by definition, the peak is the peak. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so for, so for me, the answer is progressive summarization is getting into the content mm-hmm. itself of like the body of the note. So, so this is an interesting distinction is stuff like linking is structure, yep. right? Yep. It, mm-hmm. It's almost like the webbing, the, the connective tissue in between notes. But I, I've had this experience time and again, which I think has informed my approach to this of losing stuff losing data, losing databases, having records corrupted, uh, losing uh, devices. Like I, I, over 15 years of doing this, I've, I've had so many of those. And so it's almost like, like it's interesting, the structure of a, a collection of knowledge is the most fragile thing, right? Yep. If you had to go from one app to another, it's like almost impossible that any structure is going to make it. At, at best, only the content will make it. Yep. Right. You'll have these like data dump exports of like just the content. All the metadata is gone. Tags are gone. Links are gone. Oh, structure is gone. When people here, I use two different task apps. They're like, what's wrong with you? Like you're moving. But I'm like, well, the only way I'm able to do that is by going, this one is for this. This one is for this. Yes. That's the only reason. If I was putting work stuff in Todoist and personal stuff in ClickUp, everything falls apart. Like you said, it, it just, it collapses. Cause now 
I can't trust it. It's it's the house of cards, right? You pull the one card out or it's like the Jenga where, oh, it's barely holding on by a thread. To yeah. your point, you're looking within the connective tissue, not the, not so much the connective tissue, but the, the actual tissue itself. You're looking exactly. at like, here it is. Exactly. This is what I find. And the fact that you break projects down mm-hmm. is huge because mm-hmm. a lot of people like Para does that. A lot of people, this and, and we're seeing a lot more people talk about this, this idea of projects trying to disguise themselves as tasks. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the idea of this is a project or th- sorry, this is a task. No, it's not. It's a project. You need to break it yeah. down. That's why you're not making progress on it because you're trying to do you're you're trying to eat the whole elephant one, yeah. you know, all at once. You yeah. got to like pick and choose. And that's where I think you can find, to your point, those low energy things. Right. You could do. Oh, yeah. project. Summer, oh, OK. Um, someone was on one of our calls recently. And one of the low energy tasks for our focus fix session, they chose a low energy task of breaking down a project. And somebody on the call said, that sounds like it's a lot of work. I don't know if that'd be a low energy task, which illustrates your point about the personal component of it, how nuanced it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. That's it. So as we wrap up, I want to, I want to bring it back to the timelessness of it. Cause Chase Turner, who's a member of time crafting trust premium asks the question and and it was a longer question, but I'm going to kind of like the, the knowledge map arrangement, the arrangement of a knowledge map from 10 years ago. So the way things were done before with software, with all the stuff, can, can it still work today? So do people have to necessarily adapt? Like when they were looking at the way things were assembled, the, the, the way they managed knowledge before, um, with all the different changes in technology and, and things like that um, over the last decade, do they need, like, can they find solace in some of the stuff that still exists or do they need to really think about, okay, well, this is going to change or this has changed. I need to explore things like, you know, the idea of a second brain. I have to look at the software a little bit differently because to your point, they're most of the, the software focuses on, look, you can link this. It's backlinks. It's all this stuff. And to your point, that doesn't do much unless you're doing something with it that requires the first brain to, to deal with it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on, on where, we're at, where we were, where we're at now, and then even further, where we're going. Yeah, this is something I think about a lot. I think about it a lot. Um, I'm reminded of certain kind of amazing examples like uh, oh, who's the writer of Game of Thrones? Oh, George R.R. Um, oh, R. Martin. Yeah, George R. R. Martin, he uses and still uses, as far as I know, or at least did the last time I saw an interview from him, uh, a program called WordStar that was released in 1984. Mm-hmm. And I think he can only run it on like a Commodore or something. Like he has to use like ancient hardware to run this program. It's like the free write stuff. It's like Astro House with their free write, like Heming, like I have it. I have a legitimate, like all it does is I can write on it. It syncs to drive. That's it. No internet, no nothing. This forced function, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's something that I see, which is there tends to be as different generations of, let's just take writers uh, who are the heaviest users, I would say, of these systems. Mm -hmm. As different generations come up, they tend to adopt whatever is most popular when they're starting the first years of their career. And then they, they rarely, if ever change. So like, right. It's really funny right now. It's amazing. Like right now, how many of the most successful writers in the world use Evernote? 
you know, Tim Ferriss, uh, I was just reading, uh, I have so many examples in my notes I could look up, but they, they often use Evernote because the most successful writers right now in 2022 were starting to write or yeah. early in their careers, like 2007 to 2012. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think he wrote the four hour work week in Evernote. If I, I think so. it's either that or, or the body, um, whatever the one is, the chef, the chef one, one of them he wrote entirely. There's a whole article about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, you're right. And I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why as much as I've mo been moving away from Evernote, it's hard because it's what you used. It's also hard to get things out of Evernote, frankly, <laughs> but, but that's a whole other point. Yeah. I, I think there's a generational effect, which to me says to me, what I take away from that is it doesn't matter that much. Like, you know, it's like writing, especially imagine two writers one has more sophisticated, advanced, next generation technology. Are they going to do better writing? Absolutely not. That It's like, it depends on your profession and your field, I would say. Like maybe if you're a particle physicist, you know, you you will make better discoveries if you have a particle acceler accelerator that is like, you know, the newest, latest and greatest thing. But most fields are not, most fields are not at so at the cutting edge, the frontier of technology that their note-taking app is going to be the differentiator in their, in their work. Well, and often it's the experience and the wisdom and the maturation of the first brain, the person that's actually studied it, that's going to make the difference anyways. I mean, I've used this example with golf. Like if I went golfing with the best golf clubs on the planet and, and, and went against my brother who's golfed for years, he's still going to kick my ass because I don't, I don't have the fundamentals down. I have the foundation. I'm not as good. At, I haven't practiced as much. Totally. Um, so yeah, it's the, the, the tools that we know why tools get pushed. We know mm. um, because they, they, they are easy to see. You can yes. touch them. You can feel, you can't like quantitative productivity is such a, a huge, massive thing, right? Because Inbox zero, all these things, like I can count them. I can see them. I can therefore trust them. But yeah. what you can't see is what goes on up in here, the qualitative stuff. Yeah. That's the, and that's when, when you're bringing up, like I go into like, and I explore and I feel, and there's going to be some people like, oh God, how long is that going to take? Right. Because they can't measure it. There's no way to measure it. Right. Um, or at least measure it in a way that's objective. Like a business can look at it and go, well, yes, yeah, see, Tiago did this. And oh my goodness, look at the quality. There's, but man, it took them. That's why I don't like the term slow productivity. As much as people are talking about this term now, I think yeah. that what's going to happen is it's going to turn slow into lazy or slow into like incompetent <laughs> or they're not able to do it. Like it's like quiet quitting, right? Same jargon that kind of gets corrupted and misconstrued not unlike inbox zero which is not what it actually you know this i know this yeah. inbox zero is not what it meant that's a whole other conversation for another time which we should definitely do again in the future i want to be respectful of your time uh tiago thank you so much for uh joining us today especially in the live stream for those that were watching live where can people pick up the book and where can people uh can, you know keep up with the work that you're doing which is phenomenal stuff yeah, I encourage people definitely to to buy the book. You can find it at buildingasecondbrain.com. It's available through tons of different online and offline retailers and coming soon to, I think so far, 20 different countries and languages. So uh, if you don't read English, uh, we have a solution on its way to you. Uh, and you can also find on buildingasecondbrain.com the course that I teach, the podcast, Second Brain Podcast, the blog that we that we have. There's tons of resources at every price point, including free. Uh, so take your pick of you know which learning experience you want to have. I just encourage people. I think it's just what you said. It's like downloading an app is so clear. You can acquire something. You can just hit you know download and have it. 
But the true transformation comes with the changes up here. And that takes learning. It takes immersion in these ideas. And, and actually what it takes is trial and error. It takes experimentation to find out what works for you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We got people in the chat saying that they really enjoyed it. Thanks so much to everybody that's live stream. I'm going to end the live stream now. Then Tiago and I will wrap things up a little bit separately. So thanks everybody who watched the live stream. Big thanks to Tiago for joining me on the program this week. Everything we talked about, relative links, et cetera, et cetera, can be found at productivityist.com slash podcast 448. Add those to your second brain. The other thing you should add to your second brain are the sponsors that I mentioned during this conversation. Just go to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors to check those out. And the final thing, you don't even have to add this to your second brain. You can do this right now. Hit the subscribe button. Listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this show, hit the subscribe button. That way you don't miss a single episode of what's to come and can go back into the archives and discover podcast episodes featuring Laura Vanderkam, Chris Bailey, David Allen, Gretchen Rubin, and so many more. A plethora of productive conversations for you to discover when you subscribe to the podcast. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for joining me. I had a great time, a really great productive conversation. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation with Mike Vardy, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.